I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, what? Living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. Good stuff. And guard yourself when you come to the house of God. Walk prudently when you approach the Lord. Now we can go to Ecclesia, or excuse me, to Leviticus. We're at chapter 4, but I am going to pause a little bit from the details of the offerings and such after a word of prayer, and then we're going to make a few remarks that I hope will have some sort of, uh, what do you call it, melding kind of effect uh, in, in our study of these uh, offerings that we're reading about, which sometimes in just the pure reading of them, hmm, they get a little tedious if you're, if you're not taking out the individual little points in them and seeing how that they are types off of, of shadows and, and uh, that, patterns of better things to come, the book of Hebrews says. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, your book and your words in it are wonderful, but sometimes difficult for our minds that are stuck down here too much. Help us, Father, to put away our blindness and our concerns for the worldly things about us, that we might focus on your words and see the patterns, types, that your word says in the New Testament exist here in the book of Leviticus. We're thankful for this book, and we ask that you help us to open it and to increase our knowledge that we might find wisdom in here. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We have, uh, uh, we've got all these offerings. First, we've got the house. We studied that just briefly. I didn't go into the details and, uh, of, of, the, of the tabernacle and the absolute details, but we know, generally speaking, um, what it was about. It's a tent but it's a rather complex tent and uh, that was made in such a way that it was transportable. You could, uh, they could take it down and put it back up and so forth. When we encounter them about Leviticus and such, they are at Mount Sinai. And Moses has been in the mount already and he has gotten these instructions. And he says, when making the... Uh, when making the tabernacle, he said, be sure to make it exactly like I told you to do. Don't deviate one thing here or there. Why? Because they're patterns, types, examples of better things to come. And they're speaking to future issues, mainly Christ. And if you... 
I think is, uh, just came to my mind, but I'm thinking about, yes, go to chapter 10 in Leviticus. Jumping ahead just a little bit, we'll revisit this as we come through it. Chapter 10, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, they were priests. Each took his censer, the thing, you know, you carry, got smoke on it, and put fire on it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire, my Bible says, version, to the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They are priests, leaders, sons of Aaron. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Aaron knew what was right. But then look, then Moses called Mishael and Eliphan, Elzaphan, the son of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics, because they had burned up, uh, out of the camp, as Moses had said. You remember I had a title one day, Dangerous Glory. It applies to us too. It is, a, it is typical of that. The only way to approach our God, the forgiving God, the God who offered himself, the only way that we can approach God in his glory is through the offering of Jesus Christ our Lord, period. You come any other way, you get burned up and die. I think it's a serious thing that we need to consider about these things. The whole picture is, is a type of what was happening, and, that's, and it makes the book of Romans just explode with meaning, frankly. Uh, uh, we do not and cannot and should not approach our God except through Jesus Christ the Lord, who is our offering our burnt offering, our peace offering, our, our uh, uh, sin offering, all of those things taken together, all of these things find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, everyone. And I think we need to know that before we continue on in discussing these uh, uh, offerings. They're not there just to be a ritual at the church Whatever you, if you call, or the tabernacle, for, uh, in their case. By the way, some of this still applies to our own church, to to, our, to the day of the church. We don't have the kind of uh, the the curtain has been rent and opened up, but we still cannot enter in except through Jesus Christ. 
exalt Jesus Christ. We need to exalt Jesus Christ every single day. When you have your morning prayer, do it then. Before you come to church, exalt Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. He is our final offering. He is our offering. The only one we have, but it is the one that all these things spoke to. All of them. We have discussed the burnt offering. And that was the most important one. They kind of put them in order of importance in a way. The burnt offering was the one that is atoning. Some others speak of atoning work too, but uh, others like the grain offering, number two, is a fellowship kind of thing. The establishment of uh, good communications between man and God. And the peace offering, even more, we find total peace through Christ. And then comes the sin offering that we're going to be studying today and probably next week. The sin, sometimes called peace offering, and in my version it's peace, it has to do with the word shalom. And uh, uh, it mostly means sin in some places, and other places means peace. But I think, I think the word peace offering is okay. Uh, uh, many of the commentaries will call it a purification. The, sin, uh, the peace offering was a purification offering. And then number five, the trespass offering, which we haven't studied yet, and we'll get to that. But I wanted to make these comments There's some things that are going on in, the, in this book of Leviticus and these sacrificial systems and these sacrifices. I want to cite five things right off the bat. One, and the most obvious, God is holy. And if you come to him in the wrong way, you get burnt up. Sin is not allowed in the presence of God. It must be accounted for. It must be paid, as it is in our case, through the Lord Jesus Christ. He took my sins, and therefore I can come into the presence of God. But only because of Christ. The second thing I want to point out is that when he burned up those sons of Aaron. God is just in everything he does. He is absolutely just. He always punishes sin. As one asked on Quora, well, why didn't he just forgive Adam and Eve back in the garden? That would have solved the whole thing, he said. <laughs> sure, I suppose. But it would not have been just he always punishes sin. And he does punish sin, even in your case. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? You're the recipient of a grace that is unheard of to the Israelites in Leviticus. God took your sin. 
he paid your price. God is just. He always punishes sin. And if he doesn't punish it in you, who in the world did he punish it in? You're right. Jesus Christ. Your sin was imputed to Christ. He paid for your sin and his righteousness imputed to you. You're not really righteous if, I, if we're to measure by human standards. You are righteous before God. In the sight of God, you are righteous. But that doesn't mean we just walk in willy-nilly into his presence. God is holy. And secondly, he is just. The penalty God has ordained for sin is, and what the world doesn't seem to understand, death. In its many facets. Every day I debate with people who, who have no sense of anything coming after death. They think it's all nonsense. And I tell them that, that their attitude scares me to death. Because they don't know what they're talking about. God has ordained that sin, the penalty for sin, is death eternal. And the only way out, one way out, is through Jesus Christ our Lord. And offering a sacrifice offering to God. For his people. Number four fact about these things. People are sinners. There's not a soul that comes to the opening of the gate there, the, uh, uh, the curtain there in front of the tabernacle that are not sinners. That's what this whole thing is about. In our sinful state, we're not allowed into God's presence. I understand. Oh, but your God's supposed to be a loving God. He loves everybody, doesn't he? Yes, but you can't come into his presence because of your sin. Our sin leads to death. If it is not done through a sacrifice, if you bring no sacrifice, you die eternally. And the fifth fact, despite all of these things that sound really, really awful and tough, God is gracious, loving, patient, compassionate. All of those traits and faithful to the covenant which he has made with Israel. He's demanding, but he is gracious and loving and patient. I wanted to kind of express that. Now, there's another fact besides those that has been almost ubiquitous as we've gone through. As these sacrifices are brought to the uh, tabernacle for offering... The worshiper, the person who brings it, lays his hands on the head of the goat, the bull, the whatever it is that they bring. It is a, a, a direct relation, uh, 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 
connection with substitutionary atonement. They are putting their sin, they recognize and identify with this offering they, by putting the hands on it that the sins are being transferred to this animal who will die. The animal represents Christ. But the worshiper lays his hands on that substitution, substitutionary sacrifice. I say to everyone that I meet, unless you lay hands on this sacrifice, you die eternally. Guard your steps. Ecclesiastes 5.1. Guard your steps when you come into the house of God. This is no small matter that we're dealing with in the book of Leviticus. And these per persons are learning some hard lessons. I don't know about you, but I would imagine that the death of these two sons of Moses kind of uh, reverberated around the camp, don't you think? Oh, yes. My goodness, here they were. Authorized priests, but they offered up the wrong sacrifice. And they died. But I want to focus on that substitutionary atonement thing, and that's why it makes the book of Romans come alive. I have to confess I used to think Ecclesiastes was my favorite book, but Romans really is. I'm, I'm just uh, one of those people. Romans is what it's about. It's really funny. And when I argue and debate with unbelievers, they think Paul, they, th they call me a Paulist. Anybody ever been called a Paulist? <laughs> that in other words, Christ was one thing, but Paul was preaching a totally different thing. Paul never met Christ, they say. Excuse me? I don't know if meat describes it real well, but on the road to Damascus, what in the world do you call that encounter? He met Christ. And then as I recall from the book of Acts that in Corinth, Christ appeared at his bedside. You remember that? And gave him instructions. No, Paul is setting straight and bringing to the forefront all that was taught in Leviticus or the entire uh, uh, Pentateuch as far as that goes. It's extremely important. And what is Romans about if not about substitutionary atonement. We need to preach it. Our pastor does preach it. And we all need to preach it to those that we know in this world who are not yet believers. We also need to teach one another and to remind us strongly about the substitutionary atonement where we see reflected a pattern, a shadow of the things to come, the better things to come when Christ was the sacrifice. 
I don't know about you, but as I uh, read through this, I'm often um, struck by the um, uh, goriness. How gory is the picture of them cutting the um, and skinning and taking the entrails of the animal and all that kind of stuff. And then my mind races to Calvary. The difference is, this was a man who had never sinned. Not one. Now, he wasn't slaughtered and dismembered, but he was treated atrociously. For you and me. Wow. He took my sin that day. And then he rose from the dead. Justified. These things, my goodness. These things that we're studying here, if we connect them with the New Testament references to Christ and his fulfillment of all of these things, as you know, as many of you know, theologically, I'm one of those that believes that Christ fulfilled all things. We're not waiting for any other fulfillments of prophecy other than the end time. But he fulfilled all things and then he went to the cross. He is our eternal sacrifice. A number of these offerings we will see now as we move on are kind of like fellowship offerings. There's a kind of camaraderie that is involved for a number of types of people. There's even some eating together that's involved and so forth and so on. So that isn't so far removed from us. Those people would come and gather at the gate and at the, at the tabernacle in a show of worship. You know, this place must have been busy 24 hours a day, eh? I mean, at least. I suppose the third shift was probably uh, smaller than the day shift. <laughs> but the thing was, the fire never went out, according to the scriptures. By the way, we'll be studying a little bit next week. I'm going to draw down some stuff from the book of Numbers, which gives us some explanations about some of these things and how they actually played out in the lives of the Israelites. The book of Numbers. That's right. But there is a, uh, a sense as we move through these burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering or purification, and then the trespass offering, a kind of camaraderie develops around all of these as we work our way through that, so to speak, our development in the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer called it the one another's that we see in scripture. Pray for one another. Encourage one another, says the book of Hebrews. James says, pray for one another. 
Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Hebrews again, exhort one another. And five, John says, love one another. There's a whole bunch of one another's in the, in the Holy Scriptures. And that these peace offerings and sin offerings and trespass offerings, uh, purification offerings, all anticipate that togetherness. And it provides a way of having this fellowship, not only with God, approaching God, but with our fellow worshipers. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is. We are to gather together, we do, faithfully, and I'm thankful for this church. And that we have fellowship with one another. I, I would say a, a, a very nice one. And today, I believe, isn't this the day of the luncheon? Yes, I saw people bringing food in. All right. Yeah, Josh, I saw you. I saw you. Yeah. <laughs> Fellowship, it's not, it's not just a meal. It's a sacrifice to God. In the fulfillment of that, we present our bodies of living sacrifice. And in so doing, we have fellowship one with another. That's what these offerings were all about back in Leviticus, and, that's, and what we do is fulfill those in our own church. It's a beautiful thing, actually. All of those things are wonderful. Peace offering, which we've already discussed some. Ephesians 2.14 he, that is Christ, is our peace. And I could say he's our peace offering. Colossians 1.20, Christ made peace through the, law, uh, through the blood of his cross. Christ made peace. These people had to go in there and make an offering regularly for the peace, we have it made for us by Christ on the cross. Ephesians 6.15. It says there that Jesus' gospel is the gospel of peace. Amen to that. I love all of these things which I think connect directly with Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, particularly these offerings that we're talking about. Now, turn back to Leviticus chapter 4. I'll try to get back at, at the text that we're dealing with. Chapter 4. You know, if you read commentaries, which I do, uh, on this, I have a number of commentaries. Five, I think, that I tend to look at, and only two of those do I have much faith in. But I, I try to check each of them out to see what different men that have studied these things saw in this. And so there's always some debate about what you would call uh, each of these offerings. Mostly all agree 
with the burnt offering. It was an atoning sacrifice and so forth. But some of the others also involved atonement. atonement. But nonetheless, they have different views and titles for these offerings. In chapter 4 that we're looking at, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, if a person sins unintentionally, there's some real strong truths here too, against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, that pretty much would collect most people, if the anointed priest sins, first is just a person. If an anointed priest sins, that would be Aaron and his, and his sons, but mostly think that it was Aaron himself. Bringing guilt on the people, get that? What? The sins of the priest? Brings guilt upon the rest of the people? Does that apply today? You bet your bottom dollar. One of the things about being a pastor when I pastored was I was ever, almost always, aware and weighed down by the responsibility of conducting myself in the fashion that would not offend against God for the sake of my people. It was not fun. Pastoring is not fun. Did anybody hear that? You can go ahead and tell pastor. Pastoring is not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. But it is like wonderfully fulfilling when God gives you what you need. And so we were constantly on our knees asking for help in dealing with issues in the church. So anyway, speak to the children of Israel if the person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord. Unintentional sin, if the anointed priest sins and so forth, uh, uh, which he has sinned a young bull without blemish as a sin offering, Verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hands on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Once again, that kind of a, a gory scene. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. That's different from the previous one. The priest shall dip his finger in its blood and sprinkle some of, the blood, some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary in the holy place, not the most holy place, but the next one. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is the tabernacle of meeting, and he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar outside at the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. That's where most of it was dumped. He shall take it from, uh, from it, all the fat of the bull of the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat 
which is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And it shall be, and it, as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering. But the bull's hide and all its flesh and its head and legs, its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry where? Outside the camp. Where did they take Jesus to crucify him? Outside the gate. Outside the camp. Where the ashes are poured and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Wow. Wow. If that isn't speaking of Christ, I don't know what is. Now, we're looking at it from the, from the other perspective. We already have all the information we need to understand this. I'm, I don't think um, a whole lot of the Israelites had that so clearly in mind. Indeed, it must have been somewhat confusing to them to see all these intricate practices and so forth. And yet it was pointing by, by pattern, by shadow, by type, typos in the Greek, by type, and by a shadow of good things to come, which was Christ who would die on the cross, a sacrifice for us. It's a good place to kind of wrap it up, I think, for the day. Christ has died. He died as a sacrifice for sin. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God offered up for us all. Have you believed on him today? Have you thought of that wonderful gift that we have from Christ Jesus our Lord who said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved hallelujah I don't have to bring no animals I don't have to do nothing I just have to look up look up I have to pray I have to confess my sins I have to turn from my sins and put my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and as the Bible says and promises, thou shalt be saved. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have come to know you that way through a sacrifice, yes. But this sacrifice was different. This was your son. This was the second person of the Trinity that you had appointed to die for us. We do not fully understand that mystery, dear Lord, no. But we do understand your word. And all things point to Christ. 
And if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And none other, there is no other sacrifice as the book of Hebrews asserts than this one that is efficacious to forgive us our sins and to put them as far as east is from the west. We come to church today thankful for this beloved truth, this type that is in Leviticus played out in real time in the New Testament, the sacrifice of sacrifices, Christ Jesus our Lord hung on that cross, dying for us. But thank you, Lord, three days later, he arose from the dead. It is in the risen Christ that we rejoice today and we pray in his precious name, amen.